Well, good morning once more. Uh, my name is Jared. I'm a pastor here at Hope Fellowship. I'm glad to join you this morning as we continue our series through the book of 1 Peter. So if you will, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll read our passage and we'll get started. So join me in prayer. Father, we all come to your house today, recognizing that we are weak and needy, and yet we know that in your kindness you promised to feed us with your word, and so we humbly ask you to do that for us today. Feed us with your word, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to do the first four and a half verses of 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5 this morning. So let me read that for us. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, and not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now our passage today, as you noticed, has this image of shepherding in it, the image of a shepherd. I've not spent any real time, as far as I can recollect, with a real shepherd in my life. Uh, But I can understand, from what I understand reading about this job, it's quite difficult. Uh, As I was reading a little bit about what it takes to be a shepherd this week, here's a few things that a shepherd has to think about. Sheep are very dumb. Probably most of us know this. They're dumb animals. Uh, As I understand it, their primary way to deal with danger is if they smell a wolf or something that they think is a danger to them, they all just kind of group together, right? So it just kind of makes it as easy as possible for the predator to get at them. Uh, So you have to be very vigilant as a shepherd to kind of avoid, I believe, what would be considered a mass sheep casualty event. Um, Getting water for sheep is really hard. Uh, If it's standing still for and too stagnant, I guess they can get sick from what grows in there. If it's moving too quickly, they get scared of it. Or if they get in it, their, sheep, or their, uh, their fur fills with water and they drown. So there's all these sorts of ways that a sheep can die. Uh, they can wander off. They can fall off, fall off a cliff. And so the sense I get from what I read is, is, is if you want to keep a herd healthy and alive for a shepherd, there's actually a fairly narrow path that you have to, do to, uh, you have to follow to do that. Um, And that requires the shepherd to take the job very, very seriously. Now, in our passage that we're looking at today, Peter's using this image of the shepherd to both exhort the elders of the church who are receiving this letter and to encourage the elders in the whole church by reminding them that the chief shepherd, or Jesus, is coming back. So as we look at our passage today, we're going to look at Peter's words from, from three different angles. The first is we're going to look at the shepherd's responsibility. Second, we'll look at the shepherd's motivation. And then third, we're going to look at the flock's response. So the shepherd's responsibility, the shepherd's motivation, and the flock's response. And it's my hope as we consider each of these things that our understanding of Jesus as our chief shepherd would encourage all of us in our roles in the body of our church here at Hope Fellowship. 
Now, uh, before we go further, the vast majority of us in here are not elders. Most of you are not elders here. You may not ever become elders, but all of you are here at Hope Fellowship Church. And Hope Fellowship is an elder-led church, which essentially means that we're not um, a democracy, which means that everyone gets to vote on what we do as a church. Uh, We're not a dictatorship where one person sets the agenda for everything we do here. We're what we call an elder-led church, which means that we do a few men who are biblically qualified and who have been called by the elders, are tasked with the responsibility of leading the care of our church. It happens primarily through the teaching of the word and prayer and care for the flock, the church here. Um, And since all of you are at an elder-led church, even if you're not an elder, it's it's good to know exactly what the responsibilities are that God's word gives to your team of elders. And much like we described uh, with the passage where Peter uh, tells uh, wives to submit to their husbands or servants to their masters, uh, here we're also going to see that same phrase come back up. The church, those who are younger, are to submit to the elders. And so this is a continuation of this idea that uh, God's given us a certain grammar for how we conduct ourselves, how we relate to different people in our lives. And it's following these grammar rules that allow us to write the story of a healthy church here at Hope Fellowship that is following Jesus. And also, just one more brief aside here, uh, I'm very grateful this is not a sermon that is directed at anybody in a negative way. Um, This is directed, the passage is directed at elders, um, so that's going to be the focus of the sermon today, but I'm very grateful that I've I've joined the elder team fairly recently. Um, I'm really grateful that I've had wonderful examples in our elders of how to live these verses out. Okay, so to get our minds back into the text, last week, one of our elders, Jeremy Lundgren, walked through the end of 1 Peter chapter 4, where Peter gives an encouragement to the churches to stay strong under external persecution, to how to remain faithful when that happens. And so now Peter's returning his attention next to how the leaders of the church, or the elders, are to conduct themselves, and how they remain faithful when persecution uh, raises the pressure on them, raises the pressure on the church, whether it's from inside or outside the church. And the job of these elders, as Peter says in verse 2, if you look down at your Bibles, verse 2, is to shepherd the flock <clears throat> of God that is among you. And so that's going to be our first point, the shepherd's responsibility. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, as I've mentioned here, Peter is using the image of shepherd. It's kind of the controlling metaphor for how this idea of the, sh- of the elder works out. It's in several places in the New Testament. Now, this image of the leader of God's people as a shepherd is a very rich one. It's used throughout the Old and New Testaments. And it's actually an image that's used both for the Lord himself. Right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And it's also used for those who are leading God's people, who have been given the task of leading God's, God's people. And so, for example, the Lord is our shepherd. Jacob calls God his shepherd when he's blessing his son Joseph. Um, And in David, uh, Israel's greatest king, uh, he was taken from actually being a shepherd to becoming the shepherd of God's people as their king. Psalm 78, 70 through 71 says this about David as the king. Speaking of the Lord, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes, He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. So we see this idea that the leaders of God's people in some way are tasked with this idea of you are the shepherd of God's people. You are the shepherd of the flock. 
That doesn't always work out well, though. In Ezekiel 34, the Lord tells his people that he is going to have to be the one to gather and shepherd his people who have been scattered because they've had bad shepherds. Because the people who did have the responsibility of leading God's people had done it poorly. They didn't go searching for their sheep. They fed them bad things. They didn't protect them from the right things. The, Israel, the leaders of Israel failed by doing all these things poorly. And then later in Ezekiel, the Lord goes on to say that he will place over his people one shepherd who will care for God's people. And as we continue in the Old Testament, perhaps most famously is Psalm 23, which begins with those very well-known and beautiful lines, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We get to the New Testament. Jesus is going to pick up on this theme. And he's actually going to apply it to himself and to his disciples later on. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this to his disciples. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So hearkening back to Ezekiel 34, Jesus is the one good shepherd that, that God has chosen to lead his people. But at the end of John, at the end of the Gospel of John, there's a story from Peter's life. And keep in mind, Peter's the one that wrote this book. A story from Peter's life that I, I, I find one of the most poignant moments in the entire Gospel of John. So Peter, as we know, was one of Jesus' closest relationships all throughout Jesus' ministry while he was on earth. He walked with him through many, many difficult things, but... At the very end of Jesus' life, as Jesus was being put on trial to die, Peter betrayed him and said, I don't even know him. I don't even know him. As far as we know, the two of them never talked about this betrayal until the very end of John chapter 21. Jesus is making breakfast for the disciples after they spent a night of fishing. And John says it wasn't until after they finished eating that Jesus kind of broke the ice finally. He took Peter on a walk down the beach, and this is the conversation that they had. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I'm sure this walk along the beach was, was branded in Peter's memory for the rest of his life. Jesus forgiving his sin of betraying him is followed by this sort of metaphorical passing of the shepherd's crook onto Peter. Feed my lambs, Jesus says, tend my sheep and feed my sheep. And so now Peter explains to the elders in verse 2 that those who have been tasked with the protection and the care of God's flock, they have been passed the metaphorical shepherd's crook. Jesus did that in that moment. He, just, he gave the shepherding responsibility to those who are elders of the church. And by pairing these two ideas of shepherding and in verse 2, exercising oversight, Peter's giving us a sense of what he expects the elders to do. As a flock of sheep needs to be fed, feed the people of God by teaching them God's word. As a flock of sheep needs to be protected from hungry lions and wolves, guard God's people 
against false teachers and false teaching by praying for them and carefully watching what is taught at the church. As sheep that wander need to be brought back, go after those who are wandering, and as much as you're able, work to bring them back to the flock. As sheep are injured and need to be cared for, comfort and care those who are hurting in the church. These are the activities of those who are shepherds of God's people. And as Peter said, as you probably noticed, it's not just doing these activities that matter. It's, it's the way in which they are done that matters as well. There's a particular way that an elder does the shepherding work, shepherding God's people. He says this by giving us these, these three pairs of instructions. It's, a, it's a three pairs of do's and don'ts placed together. Don't shepherd God's people out of compulsion, but do it willingly. Don't shepherd in order to make money, but do it eagerly. Don't shepherd by domineering over people, but do it by setting an example. Now, there's a lot of wisdom in these three pairs of instructions. It comes from someone who's obviously been in the position of an elder for a while, and new men who are in this position of an elder, because Peter calls out what many people think are three of the most dangerous temptations for men who have the role of elder, which is the danger of sloth or an unwilling spirit. The second is the danger of greed, doing things just for the sake of money. And the third is a lust for power. So if you're in a position of being an elder, Peter says, you should not need to have someone make you do this work. It shouldn't be something that you're kind of forced to do. You shouldn't be motivated by, primarily by money, and you should not use your position as a way to gain power or influence or fame. And as with most sins, there's a, there's a self-centeredness that kind of runs throughout all of these dangers. There's a temptation to begin focusing on yourself when the work gets difficult. And when that happens, the feeding and protecting and chasing and caring for people can be hard, perhaps unseen work, which might result in the elder losing sight of his sheep and and more dangerously, losing sight of the chief shepherd, losing sight of Jesus. And that can cause, instead, maybe potentially bring the focus down on what it's costing him to do the work, which can cause a loss of desire to do the work, which is the first danger. And danger number two, when any job gets difficult, it's a fairly common response to begin thinking that you should get paid more for something. All right, that's a danger. Peter's saying that's danger number two. The compensation is not enough for what they think they're being asked to do. A misunderstanding of what the true reward is for the work. And then finally, danger number three, when an elder begins to believe he's maybe owed some respect for the hard work he does or sees an opportunity to allow the fleshly desire for power to be gratified in his position of spiritual influence amongst God's people, that can cause danger number three. So Peter's touching on these dangers as a warning to elders who are entrusted with the shepherding of God's flock. And the alternative, he explains, after each danger is to do the work of shepherding willingly, eagerly, and to lead the flock by example. Now if we keep in mind the situation of most of the churches at this time, uh, they were almost certainly elders of these early churches who read this letter, who either themselves would have been killed for their work, or who certainly had people in their churches who were likely killed for this work or for being a Christian. And so the reasonable question that this should raise in our minds is that when these pressures do come to a church, either spiritually or culturally or from our own flesh, to go after these dangers, how can an elder remain a willing and eager shepherd and set an example for his flock? And so Peter's going to answer that question for us. And that's going to take us to our second point. 
which is the shepherd's motivation. Now, you might have noticed as we read through each of the dangers and their alternatives, all of these positive ways of shepherding were exemplified by one man, the true shepherd of Israel, Jesus Christ, who was willing to love his people, eagerly to serve not for money but for the sake of the health of his sheep, and who didn't domineer over people but set an example for us to follow. Peter wants the elders reading this to see that the only way to shepherd well is to keep their eyes fixed on the chief shepherd. If their eyes become fixed on the difficulties or on the pressures or on themselves, then these dangers can easily become realities. But keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus will drive out those dangers with the certain hope of the chief shepherd's return. The shepherd who died for the sins of his followers the one who willingly gave up his life to save those who put their trust and faith in him, which is a shepherd that we know deserves our trust and one that all of us can fix our eyes on with great hope. And Peter, if you noticed, he actually does that himself. If you look back at verse 1, Peter refers to himself as a fellow elder, and you see what he says next there, a witness to the sufferings of Christ, a witness of Christ's sufferings and a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So Peter is putting this into practice. He's fixing his mind on Jesus' sufferings and on to Jesus' return. And in this way, Peter himself is acting as an example to other elders by showcasing this kind of dual vision that's critical, frankly, for every Christian to have. The dual vision, keeping the suffering and the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus in our minds. That's the first part of the vision, looking to the past, what Jesus did for us but then also looking ahead to the day that we know Jesus is going to come back. That's the dual vision, right? keeping both of those in our mind's eyes all the time. And the reason he does this for the elders is that if they can keep their eyes fixed on those things, then the dangers of verses 2 and 3 become far less potent. If you can remember Jesus' death for you and his resurrection and know that he may be coming back at any moment— it will make it much easier to avoid the danger of needing extra compelling to do the work of the elder. The same goes for greed and for a lust for power. In light of an imminent return of the chief shepherd, those dangers lose a great deal of their seduction. So Jesus' return also is going to bring a reward for those who are doing the work of elders as well. So if you look again at verse 4, Peter writes this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown glory. Now I expect that all of us at one time or another has had someone offer us some kind of reward if we can make it through a difficult task of some kind. The Lord knows that we are often needy and needful of those sorts of things. He knows our frame and knows that the promise of a reward in some ways is very necessary if we're going to make it through the difficulties and the pressures of life. And in this case, the difficulties that being an elder can bring. And Hebrews says that even Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And the reward, in this case, is the unfading crown of glory. Now back in Peter's day, in some races or athletic contests, the winner would get this kind of wreath or crown. It was often made of woven plants. The crown was kind of meant to, meant to honor that person, very similar to medals that people wear today if they win or, or accomplish some kind of race. If you've ever been down to watch the Chicago Marathon and been near the finish line, you just you notice that more and more people start walking around with the medals around their neck, which is kind of this way of giving them some like 
um, small g glory for the fact that they managed to finish a marathon. Uh, That's the same idea as the crown Peter's talking about here. When Jesus returns, there's going to be a particular kind of honor to the elders who have finished their task faithfully. So for those here who are elders or who will be elders, I believe the application here is to resist the feeling that no one sees the difficult or the quiet work that you're doing behind the scenes. You don't need to draw attention to your prayer, to the times that you spent doing shepherding work, any more than a marathon runner needs to uh, bring attention to the fact that they're running a marathon while they're doing it. Once the finish line comes, there's a reward, and the reward won't fade. And while the unfading crown of glory will be a great reward, there will be an even greater reward than that crown as well. In Revelation verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, John tells us of the picture he sees of elders gathered around the throne of the Lamb, Jesus' throne, that they'd been given crowns as well. But instead of keeping the crowns for themselves, they threw them down at Jesus' feet. It says this, The twenty-four elders fell down before him who was seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so we don't know if this passage is normative for all those who will be elders one day. But what we do know is that those elders recognized, whoever they are, that their accomplishments were frankly quite small compared to the glory of their Savior. And that he was actually the one that gave them the ability and carried them through their tasks at that point. And so they can easily give their crowns back to the one to who, de- who deserves them. So this is the motivation for the elder, that the chief shepherd is going to return. And he will be present from that point on, physically present with his people to care for their needs. There will be no more need to point people to Jesus through teaching and example. No more need to comfort people in their pain and suffering because Jesus will be here himself. And he will wipe the tears himself. He'll comfort us himself. But for now, it is the elder's task to shepherd the people towards Jesus, to keep them safe and fed and in the flock, so that when the shepherd appears, that flock will be ready for him. Now, this is going to bring us to our final point, which is the flock's response. So take a look down at the beginning of verse 5 with me. Peter's following this encouragement and exhortation to the elders with an instruction that he directs specifically to the younger members of the church. He says this, Likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Excuse me. Now, if you've been present for much of our First Peter series, as I said, this is a familiar phrase. This be subject phrase. It keeps coming up. Uh, and the interactions between the elders and specifically here younger church members are no different. Now, if you remember that phrase be subject essentially means to obey. Uh, you who are younger, Peter is saying, obey the elders in your church. Which raises the question, why does Peter single out younger members of the church for this instruction? Now, this is a general rule. It's not complete. It's not always the case. But generally, there's sometimes a tendency for those who are younger to ignore or perhaps distrust or even dislike authority figures. All the parents here know what this means or what this is what I'm talking about. Um, Leadership and authority sometimes can be viewed kind of automatically as suspicious. 
because they are in a position of authority. So those who are younger in the church, Peter's talking to you here. And this is countercultural in a lot of ways. It's going to be easier for you, likely, to have a baseline level of suspicion towards the leaders in your church instead of a baseline level of trust. But Peter is again here giving us the ways that the church is supposed to work. This is the grammar of our conduct within the church towards one another. Elders have the responsibility to care for your soul by feeding you the word and praying for you and to do that gladly, eagerly, not for money, not using the position to bully you in any way. That's the elders' responsibility. And the elders are not given a pass if uh, church members don't respond well to that. They still have to shepherd the flock the same way. And likewise, if you're a member of our church, your responsibility is to be subject to the elders, which means accepting the decisions that are made for the church and trusting the elders that they are in a position that they are because God has placed them in a role and they are responsible for that role. Now, this does not mean that every decision or action that elders make are right and perfect. It doesn't mean that those who are in the position of elder are automatically the wisest people or that their decisions should be expected to be considered the wisest possible decisions. Instead, it means that God's given them a responsibility for shepherding the flock, and they are responsible for how they handle that responsibility. Likewise, church members will be responsible for the Lord for how they interact with their elders. Now, I want to conclude with a, a few practical ways that I think this, this likely plays out in a context like Hope Fellowship here. So first, for those here who are elders or who are going to be elders, either here at another church one day, um, your application uh, of this passage when you're in that role is fairly clear. This is for myself as well. Beware of your heart. Watch yourself for the feeling of shepherding begrudgingly or becoming greedy for more money, or demanding people act in a certain way instead of doing it yourself and encouraging people to follow you as you follow Christ. And perhaps, and certainly, not perhaps, certainly most importantly, keep the return of the chief shepherd at the forefront of your mind. Jesus' return will give you what you need to pursue these things, which will be imperfectly, of course, but with the hope of the Spirit's refining work in your soul, in the hope that the Lord will use broken vessels that offer himself to offer themselves to him to be used, can follow the shepherd, the great shepherd in your work as a shepherd. And for those here who are not elders, I think this passage raises a very important question for you to ask, which is this: Who or what are you allowing to shepherd your heart? Whose example are you choosing to follow? If you take an honest look at your life, what you read or what you watch, how your money is spent, who or what is leading your heart. Now, none of us are going to be sanctified to the point where Jesus is the only influence and only example in our lives until either death or he returns. But there are choices that all of us make throughout the week to follow different people or different media or different things. And those things shape us. They shepherd us, in a sense. So whoever or whatever is shepherding your heart is going to make some decisions for you about what your soul is eating. They're going to feed you something. They're going to make decisions about what you do and don't hear. They'll be protecting you from something. Often, the world's shepherds want to protect people from following Jesus. They're going to direct the eyes of your heart to something 
And they will set some kind of example that you will be following. And eventually, all of us become like whatever shepherd we're following. All of us become like the shepherd we are choosing to follow. So, for all of us here, we must choose our shepherds wisely. Now, this leads to what I think is a second application for us here. Uh, And this one might seem a bit strange at first, but uh, this is a critical one for this passage to work in our church today. If you're a regular attender of Hope Fellowship, but you are not a member of our church, it's really important that you become a member. This is one of the ways that we can put a passage like this into practice. It's through membership in the church that the elders are able to fully and completely shepherd your soul. And that's not to say in any way that the elders aren't going to ignore you or won't pray for you, won't care for you if you're not a member. But we won't have the same ability to care for you, to protect you and your soul with all the means available unless you have chosen to become a member, chosen to bring yourself under the authority of the elders, which is not something that the elders take lightly. But it is a very clear way, I believe, for all of us to consider how we put a a passage like this into practice. Now finally, get to know your elders and be in prayer for us. Every elder and the Every elder and the entire elder team recognizes that we desperately need prayer, we need wisdom, we need protection, and we need guidance from the Lord. So please do be in prayer for Aaron and Jeremy and myself and for all those who may become elders in the future. Now to end today, I want to read from the beginning of Psalm 23. I believe this passage, perhaps the best way to finally put all this into practice is to direct our eyes finally and completely, to our chief shepherd. Our chief shepherd is Jesus himself. Uh, I think the words of Psalm 23 are very helpful for us as we think about this. So this is what I want to end with. These words are beautiful and point us to our true shepherd. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you call yourself our shepherd. Jesus, we thank you that you have showed us what that means. That in your mercy you came to live among your flock, to feed us, to protect us, to chastise us, to save us, and finally to bring us into glory. So we ask that you would cause our elder team here at Hope Fellowship to be a small picture of this, and that all of us in this church would fix our eyes on you, Jesus, as our chief shepherd. We ask this in your name. Amen.